This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well hey, welcome to Church Online. So good to see you today. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here at Anchor Church City. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. Hey, I don't know if you remember that movie with um, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro, and our own Aussie Abby Cornish called Limitless. The premise of the movie is uh, Bradley Cooper's an author who's struggling with some writing block, and he manages to get hold of this, this pill, this tablet that just unlocks the full potential of his brain. And it just supercharges his intellect, it, it ramps up his processing power, his wit is razor sharp, his memory is phenomenal, and it leads to him making incredible decisions, drawing all these resources and memories that he never really knew he had, and becoming really rich and famous. And I don't know if you've watched the movie, but at the end of it, there was a part of me was like, man, is that true? I wish that was true. I wish there was a, a pill I could take to unlock the potential of my brain. And there is something in us that wants that to be true. You know, the emergence of, of body hacks, you know, like five tips to survive on four hours sleep a night or, uh, you know, what are all these things that you can do to make your body become superhuman and do things beyond its normal limitations. Even today, the, uh, the increase of transhumanism, which is this like blending of technology and, and the human body. It's interesting. I've been reading um, Justin Early's book, The Common Rule, and he was talking about multitasking in that book, you know, where you, um, you're trying to teach your child home learning and at the same time you're also like trying to message, reply back to your boss on email at the same time. And he, was, he was saying that our brains actually aren't made to, to multitask, like it's not good use of our time, it's not good use of our brain, it doesn't work well and yet we all try and do it. And his comment was multitasking is actually our attempt at omnipresence at trying to be in two places at the one time. On one hand, we're trying to be present with our kids and teach them, but at the, other, at the same time, we're trying to be present to our boss or our colleague or our coworker on email. Somehow we've inherited this idea that limits are things to be pushed through and broken and torn down. We're always after something smarter, better, faster in this relentless pursuit for more. Well, today in Exodus chapter 18, we're going to look at this idea of living joyfully within the limits that God has given us. We're going to be examining Moses in his vocation, in his calling, in his leadership. And in this particular instance in Exodus chapter 18, he's fallen into, into believing the lie of indispensability, that everything rests on him, that, that he is the only one who can do all of this work that lies before him. And he's actually leading outside of the limits of his humanity. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to buy into this lie most Monday mornings when I write my to-do list and it's super long and I just believe in my own superhuman capability to get through it all. And then come Wednesday, I'm depressed because I've only scratched three things off my list. Anyone else? Just me? Well, today we are going to look at what it looks like uh, from God's word to joyfully embrace our God-given limits as a gift of his grace. So why don't you pray with me as we dive into his word. Father, we thank you that uh, you have created us to be human, to be finite, to have limits and boundaries and capacity 
And God, we know that so much of the temptation of our relentlessly pursuing world is to push and push and push. And so today, Father, would, would you open our eyes to see the ways that we're seeking to live beyond our limits and show us what it looks like to joyfully live within them as a gift of your grace. And I pray that you would do this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's dive into uh, Exodus chapter 18. If you've got a Bible at home, why don't you keep that open there? Um, I don't know about you, but as, as I was reading this passage, I kind of got the impression that it's a bit of a lull in the story. You know, we've, we've had this incredible uh, moments of like 10 pandemics that have swept through the, the parting of the Red Sea. And then on the other side of this narrative, there's the, the law and the, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai and, and all of these crazy things. And, and this seems like a bit of a lull in the narrative, but it's an important one. Back in chapter 4, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two children back to his father-in-law Jethro in, uh, in Midian. And I'm not really sure why he did that. Potentially it's a safety thing. He wanted to keep his wife and children safe. So he sends them back. And here at the beginning of chapter 18, he sends word to Jethro that he's returned. And Jethro brings his wife and his children back to him. And the The location of chapter 18 is really important because it says there in verse 5 that they are camped just out the front of the Mount of the Lord, the mountain of God. And that's the same location where Moses, back in chapter 3, had that encounter with God at the burning bush. And Moses says to him, God, how do I know? How do I know that you're sending me? How do I know that the Israelites will hear and respond? And God gives him this crazy promise. He says, you'll know when you come back and you're standing right here worshipping me. And here Moses is. He's crossed the Red Sea. He's on the other side. He's back at the mountain of the Lord. And he's reminded of the promises that God gave him and the faith that it was required for them to get to that point. Jethro comes. There's a family reunion. They have a great celebration. And Moses begins to tell Jethro everything that God had done. Have a look at uh, verse 11 there. Verse 11, it says that, um, that Moses recounts and tells all of the things that the Lord had done. He goes back and he says, Jethro, you will never believe it. God sent nine plagues against Pharaoh and his, his armies and his people. And then there was this 10th plague. It was the plague of the firstborn. We all smeared blood over our doorposts and the angel of death passed over. And, and you'll never believe it, Jethro. We all came out unscathed and yet the firstborn of every Egyptian died. And, and, then, and then Pharaoh let us go and we left and we plundered them. We took our, our wives and our children and our crops and, and we took the gold and silver of the Egyptians and and then we got stuck in a cul-de-sac in the desert. We were caught between Pi-Hahiroth and the Red Sea and, and the Egyptian armies bearing down us. You never believe God said, stretch out your hand. And the Red Sea parted and walked through on dry ground. And then he said, stretch out your hand again. And the waters covered the Egyptian armies and swallowed them up. And the Lord rescued us. Moses tells Jethro what had happened. And in verse 11 there, Jethro responds by saying, Surely this means, this confirms for me that Yahweh is the greatest of all the gods. Now, that's a really important moment in this story because way back in uh, in Exodus 9, uh, 16, Moses is dialoguing with God and God says to Moses, I'm going to tell you why this is happening. I'm going to tell you why I am sending you. He says that, 
that his power and his might will be known and that this will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. And here is Jephro, a Midianite, a non-Israelite, the first Gentile hearing of the good news of God's redemption and salvation of his people and a sign and a marker of the first fruit of Gentile mission. It's a beautiful picture of what God will continue to do throughout the unfolding story of Yahweh and his people. As I was thinking about this little interaction here, I don't know about you, but who is probably the most difficult person to share your faith with? Perhaps it's your boss. I would guess it's your father-in-law. Your father-in-law has to be the most difficult person to share your faith with. And here is Moses sharing with his father-in-law what God had done for them. And he shares by simply saying, Jethro, listen to what God has done for us. It's an overflow of, of this joy in what God has done. Leslie Newbigin, the great missiologist, says that mission at its best is an explosion of joy. An explosion of joy. I love that phrase. And that is exactly what's happened here for Moses. Jethro comes back, his wife and children come back, and he shares the good news of God's salvation with them. Well, the very next day, they've had a great celebration. The very next day, they've, they've had a sacrifice. They've worshipped the Lord. And in verse 13, Moses goes back to work. Have a look at what it says. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around from here, uh, around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Jethro sees and he says to Moses, this is not good. He notices some problems in Moses' leadership and his life. The very first is he notices that Moses is neglecting his family. You've got to remember here, Moses has sent his wife and children away. They've been apart for probably about 10 months at this point. They come back. He's not seen his wife for 10 months, and the very next day, he goes to work. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't go and play with his kids. He doesn't catch up on what they've missed in the last 10 months and, and you know, go play footy in the backyard with his boys. None of that. He goes straight to work the very next day. He returns because of the demands of the job, because of the people. Secondly, Jethro knows that Moses is overworking. It says there that Moses worked all day from morning till evening. Verse 13, from morning till evening. There's a backlog of cases. Perhaps he's got a full day from the day before that he's got to catch up on. And the quantity of people that require Moses' attention and wisdom and words is simply too much. But he is putting in the hours. And Jethro sees a problem. He is overworking. Well, the third problem that Jethro notices here is that Moses' systems aren't working. It's actually ineffective and inefficient. 
The people line up all day. They wait to, to hear Moses all day. From morning till evening, they line up, they wait, and they're frustrated. And Moses doesn't have time to get through them all. The system is simply not working. Now, um, we've, uh, I'm sure you all experienced the, um, the delays in deliveries during lockdown. We ordered a rug. Uh, actually, before we went into COVID lockdown, we, we ordered a rug in the uh, end of financial year sales. And I noticed that the warehouse was 473 metres from our house. I thought to myself, amazing, this rug's going to be here in no time. Well, the courier picked it up and they, uh, according to their protocol, took it to a warehouse all the way out in Chalora. It sat on the dock there for three, four weeks. And then they realised it was at the wrong warehouse. It was supposed to be the Alexandria warehouse, of course. So it was transferred to the Alexandria warehouse and it sat on that loading dock about 2Ks from our house for a number of weeks. And then finally, after complaining, they delivered it to our door with a round trip around Sydney. And it just, it was so frustrating because the system was so inefficient They literally drove right past our house for months of delays. Inefficiency and ineffectiveness is frustrating. And here the people are frustrated. And Jethro's verdict is, Moses, you are going to wear yourself out, you and the people. You're going to burn out. The people are going to be exasperated about this. And you notice those important words that Jethro has the courage to say to Moses. He says, the work is too heavy. You can't handle this alone, Moses. Now, that's not the words that a leader wants to hear, particularly a capable, important leader. We do not want to hear the words, you cannot do it. But Jethro has the courage and the grace to tell Moses the truth. He really is the first uh, external business consultant in the, uh, in, in the Bible. And like any good consultant, he doesn't just come and diagnose the problem. He offers Moses some solutions. Have a look at what he says in verse 19. He says, now listen to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You, may, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens and have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring the difficult cases to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain And all these people will go home satisfied. Literally, that word there, satisfied, is the word shalom. They will go home in peace, in wholeness, in completeness. There will be efficiency, effectiveness, beauty, good functioning legal system. There will be shalom. It's important to notice here that um, that Jethro is a recently converted Midianite. Sorry, he's he's a Midianite recently converted to worshipping Yahweh and Here he comes leading Moses, the the person who had heard from the Lord, who had spoken to God face to face, and he is giving Moses advice. Now, this is really important for us to recognize that the people of God don't have a monopoly on wisdom. We don't have a monopoly on common grace, on leadership principle, on management, on people management. 
whatever reason Jethro has gained some experience, perhaps it's in his role as a Midianite priest, as a pagan priest, he's gained some leadership experience and he offers that as a gift of wisdom, of common grace to Moses. But Jethro affirms Moses' calling now. If you notice that, it's really important. He says to Moses, I see that you are called. I want to affirm your calling. Yes, you are to be God's representative. You're to represent Israel before God and God before Israel. You're to teach them. You're to model to them and you're to be their judge. But right now, the only thing you are doing is sitting in the judge's seat and this will crush the call that God has placed on your life. Jethro's solution is to empower other people, to delegate responsibility to other leaders. Not just any leaders, but to the leaders who fear God, who are trustworthy, who are capable, who have demonstrated they've got the gifts for this in order to share the workload. Jethro comes and he says to him, listen, Moses, teamwork makes the dream work. This is not about you. Now, we, we might read this you know, narrative and think, well, of course, it's too simple. I mean, that's, you know, that's like leadership business 101. I mean, we learned that in year six. But we've got to remember that Moses' only reference point for a leadership model was Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who had set himself up as a god over the nation, that he was the king, the man. Everything went through him. That's Moses' only point of reference. You add to that that Moses took his call to care for the people, to serve the people, to be a representative for God to the people. He took that call seriously. And so he has good intention. He's serving from a good place, but he is simply unable to meet the demands that are placed before him. And he is leading outside of the limits of his humanity. You see, God never told him to be the judge of every single case. God never said to him that you are the only one. God never said to him, do it all, Moses. So why is he leading this way? Well, perhaps it's a faulty model. Perhaps it's pride. Perhaps it's a, a sense of grandiosity. Perhaps he's just stuck. You know, when you're so busy, your head's stuck, you, you, can't, you don't really have the time to get up and think about a new system, a more efficient way. Whatever it is, Jethro comes and he gives him wisdom. Now, I want to suggest to you that embracing your limits is not just practical. This is not just a practical thing here for Moses, right? Share the load, share the workload. It'll, it'll, you'll feel better. There's actually something spiritual about this. Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, who I stole most of this material from, to be honest with you, he says that when we embrace our limits, we acknowledge that we are not God. We acknowledge that we're not God. We accept the fact that we are human and we declare that God is in control, that he is in charge. Embracing our limits, our human limits, is a spiritual discipline of trust in God. And so as we delegate, as we rest, as we sleep, as we say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. They are all spiritual exercises, not just practical exercises. They're exercises of trust and a declaration that I am not God. But God is. It's interesting how often we allow our good intentions to serve others um, or our default patterns of inherited leadership that we've had in the past uh, to, to send us down this spiral, this unhealthy path that would lead to exhaustion because we are leading outside of our limits. We are living outside of our limits. You know, we all have limits. 
Every single one of us is created differently. We're wired differently. We have different personalities. We are unique individuals. Now, we all have the same time limit, right? Everyone has 24 hours in a day. Every single one of us. No one has more time. No one has less. We've all got 24 hours. That is a universal limit that every single one of us has. But we often have a limit of how much energy we can give towards those 24 hours. Perhaps there are people with a health condition that limits their energy. We've got the limit of family. Maybe you are caring for an elderly parent. You're caring for a sick child. You're a primary carer for someone in your house. Uh, We have the limit of young children. For those of you who are parents of young children, your family limits you. Perhaps you've even got wounds from your family of origin. That's a, a limiting factor. You've got a limited capacity. Some cope well with stress, others don't. We have an emotional capacity. Mental health is a limit for some of you. You've got uh, personality limits. You're an extrovert. You're an introvert. If you're an introvert, there's, there's a limit to how many parties you can go to in one night, right? How many conversations you can continue to have, how many large rooms you can be in. We have intellectual limits of how much knowledge we can comprehend and understand. Age is a limit. I simply do not bounce back the way I used to anymore. We have so many limits on our life. All of us are uniquely limited in different ways. But a problem arises when we try and find um, that we're, we're living further than those limits would permit us, that we're living well beyond them, that we're trying to live our lives over there when God says, no, no, your life is right here. And it leads to frustration and disappointment and often leads to burnout and sometimes spiritual shipwreck. Pete Scazzaro says this about living within our limits. He says, maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within his or her God-given limits. Maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within his or her God-given limits. You know, I reckon we often push our limits because we're comparing ourselves to other people. We're looking across and and we're comparing ourselves and that drives us to live outside of our limits. I'm speaking to the mums here who are are looking at their social media screen and watching their Instagram influencer and their perfect body and their tidy house and their beautiful children just so you know they've got a cleaner and a personal trainer. But you're comparing yourself and you're thinking, I need to live outside of my limits. I'm speaking to the creatives who in this season are frustrated because their creativity is stifled and they're looking at all this creativity online and they're trying to be the type of artist that God never designed them to be. I'm speaking to the professionals who are looking at the careers and the opportunities and the circles that other people in the Sydney CBD elite are mixing in and you're stretching yourself beyond your limits. Then you might think, well, hold up, hang on a sec. What about... What about reaching my potential? What about seasons where I need to have my limits stretched? And yes, that is absolutely true. There are definitely times when we need to stretch ourselves. There are times where we need to grow and reach our potential. But the difference between living beyond our limit and growing and stretching our limits is the distance we are from the boundary of our limit. 
You see, when you are living outside of your limit, you are so far out of your capacity to recover, your capacity to carry, your, your capacity to do anything well that it is negatively impacting you. When you are growing, you're just on the other side of your limit. You're, you're stretching, you're growing, you're stretching, you're growing. That's the difference between stretching yourself and living outside of your limits. Of course, God wants us to reach our potential, but that doesn't come at the cost of our health. It doesn't come at the cost of our family. It doesn't come at the cost of our inner lives and our spirituality. Now, I want to suggest that we are in a season of pushing the limits. Right? We, th- that's just how lives at the moment, right? The, the frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors, the medical workers, the physios, the, the people who are working as paramedics, the GPs, the police officers, the fire, who, whatever frontline worker you are right now, school teachers, parents who are at home, juggling home learning and and trying to do your own work in fact someone's corrected me it's not juggling it's like spinning plates you spin one plate then you've quickly got to go and spin another one juggling implies you can keep it all up in the air we are living in a season of being stretched beyond our limits and sometimes that needs to happen sometimes that's the case but for the most part god calls us to joyfully embrace the limits that he has given us I wonder if you need a Jethro in your life. Perhaps even today the Spirit is nudging you. Or maybe you need to be a Jethro to someone in your life to lovingly and gently remind them that God has called them to joyfully embrace their limits. You know, as you think about the the Good News Gospel story, God created humanity in the garden. It was good, it was great, it was very good, but there was a limit. There was a tree that was out of bounds. They were limited from eating the fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve decided to push beyond those limits. They ate of the fruit. God kicked them out of the garden and sin unraveled throughout humanity. And it wasn't until the incarnation of Jesus that God decided to step in and do something about that limit pushing once and for all. You see, the ultimate limitation was the God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, taking on human flesh. He veils his glory. He limits his divinity. And Philippians 2 tells us that he takes upon himself the nature of a human, the form of a human. He becomes like a servant, becomes obedient to death. He limits himself and he dies. You know, we all have a universal limitation of our sin. We cannot possibly fix the spiritual state that we are in. We cannot do that ourselves. And I love that story in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee believes the lie of indispensability. He believes he can do it. He comes to God with his list. God, look at all these things I do. Fast twice a week. Give a tenth of all I have. And he thinks that he has the power, the capacity to save himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, comes in and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then in this profound statement in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, God says it was the tax collector who went home justified rather than the other man. For he who humbles himself will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. We need to learn to embrace the limitations of our ability to save and rescue ourselves. In John chapter 3, the disciples, John the baptizer, his disciples come to him and they say, Master, 
there is one who's called Jesus and everyone's going to him to be baptized. And John the Baptist responds profoundly by saying this in John chapter 3, verse 27. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He says, you know the story. You know the story. I must decrease. Jesus must, must increase. I am unworthy to stoop down and tie his sandals. But here's the deal. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. John knew his limit. John knew his calling. He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was there to make a straight path in the wilderness. And he comes proclaiming. And then when his job is done, he fades away into the narrative. He decreases. Jesus increases. My prayer for all of us this morning is that as we are set free by the one who took upon himself the limitation of humanity, died on the cross for our sins to set us free from our rebellion of the limits that God had placed on our lives would now help us to joyfully embrace the things that God has given us. A person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. May that be true of you this morning, Anchor Church. We bless you, love you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you give us limits, capacity. God, we pray that you would help us to joyfully embrace what it looks like to live within the limits that you have given us. And we ask this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Bless you, church.